0: Welcome to the Visagrad Insight podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe.
1: Hi, my name is Jana Yuzova and I'm senior research fellow at Europium Institute for European Policy, a think tank based in Prague uh, with a small Brussels office where I'm currently residing. I'm also currently a non-resident fellow uh, for the German, German Marshall Fund uh, of the United States and I focus primarily on Czech foreign policy, uh, the Visegrad cooperation and EU enlargement process. I recommend everyone to listen to this episode of the Visegrad Insight podcast if you are curious about the starting um, Czech EU presidency and the Slovak presidency within the Visegrad group about their plans and obstacles that these presidencies might be faced with.
0: Happy 4th of July to all our American listeners. Uh, we are in Visegrad Inside Studio at Respublica Foundation offices um, t- together with Miles Mafti and Editorial Director Wojciech Szpilski, um, Editor in Chief of the project. Um, uh, wishing you all the best for the, for the summer. We'll be cloaking off very soon. Maybe we'll do one more episode of the podcast before we. Um, uh, suspended for the summer and come back to you early early September. Uh, now, of course, uh, things and uh, the history and the world politics will not freeze and stop over, uh, over the summer, but we need to take a break to rethink and to prepare for the new, new season. Uh, and obviously Ukraine will be on our mind. But before we plug into one of the very interesting pieces that we are publishing, a very interesting story we have to share from from uh, one of the fellows, Visegrad Inside Marching Krul fellows. Um, I'll ask you this, uh, miles, uh, what else is coming up this week that that we're featuring in the in the weekly uh, outlook?
2: Well, essentially, it is kind of one of those weeks where there isn't so much happening but from our standpoint there was an interesting piece of news that that we were alerted to as you know we do a lot of work when it comes to the three c's initiative this is something that we've talked about extensively Um, and what we found out is is that on the sixth of of july so on wednesday the european parliament is actually going to debate and to vote on the three c's initiative and they're going to be looking at challenges and, and opportunities uh, the topics that most likely are to be discussed are different aspects of regional cooperation and, of course, cross-border cooperation. And this is—I I would say—that this is a, a good signal uh, to see, not only from from our standpoint that we had the foresight to actually talk about the uh, civil society aspect within this. Uh, but also that this is sort of a political initiative that is actually gaining steam, right? We, we saw even at the civil society forum that we did in, in Riga that there was kind of a little bit of hesitancy on the side of uh, Czechs, for instance. Um, but it's good to see that there is more of this kind of meta look at that. Mm. Uh, I think at this point, everyone's kind of uh, in the region is looking to to bolster cooperation in some way, shape or form. And this could be one of those kind of institutional ways to to sort of do this in some way.
0: Yeah, and and funny to uh, mention that at the beginning um, of the Slovak presidency in the Visegrad Group, Slovakia not being part fully um, participating in the Three Seas Initiative right. by because they haven't been chipping into the uh, the investment fund, and somehow Slovakia has been reluctant to fully um, you know take over uh, the, the in, in its foreign policy the. the um, or take from the Three cs Initiative the, the ideas and to embrace the, the whole initiative, it, it is actually prioritizing the Three cs Initiative points in its V4 presidency. Because the, if you look into the document, this is what we are going to talk about with, with Jana in a moment in the interview, second part of this episode. Um, Jana Yozova tries also to explain that, but I would stress that the first points of the Visegrad presidency of Slovakia are exactly the three Cs initiative points, and that is interconnectedness in the uh, in the realm of energy, mm-hmm. transportation, and then there is economy, which you can clearly link also with the digital a- agenda. All of the three Cs priorities are there, and of course you you can ask then, where do they come from in the Visegrad group? Well. <laughs> that to close uh, watchers and observers of the Visegrad Group dynamics, they've been already there before 3Cs existed. In fact, 3Cs is using the groundwork set by the cooperation in the Visegrad Group to extend it and to to uh, you know to to make it even more European than we had in the in the grouping in the V4, mm-hmm. because these priorities have been developed by the V4, have been uh, the ambition of all the four countries, and then have been different delivered. But all in all, they make the essence of the regional uh, uh, cohesion policy. They they are are essential part of how the group evolves in a way or becomes influential, not in the politics, in the foreign policy, as also the foreign minister of Slovakia underlines, but much more in the actual policy goals, which today, as uh, I hope it will be manifested in the, in the European Parliament debate, will also be seen as European priorities, which, which they are, essentially they are. And this is what we also say in our reports, in our advocacy for, for making the three Cs really, truly a European project. To get rid of the a stigma of sorts uh, yeah, of, the, of the of the uh, of its initial exactly, uh, difficult yeah. years and difficult beginnings,
2: and I even highlighted this when I was looking in the news this week. And I because we know that the three C's kind of gained momentum a lot because of the um, the the president of Latvia, right? And I was just when I was looking at news to try to add into the weekly outlook. I saw. Uh, this confrontation between the Baltics and Russia—that this is at an all-time high—and there's this growing concern on ener- energy dependence. So, Baltic states are relying on on Russian grids, and now European grid operators are actually trying to implement this long-term plan to actually bring the Baltic states into the EU system in the event of of a shutdown so it's all it's all connected in the sense
0: connectivity right? and in in the realms of the of energy and transportation i mean energy is about security mm-hmm. logistics is about uh, delivery of supplies and military support and also about mobility across the eastern uh, flank and then economy is about the resilience uh, to to be able actually to sustain all these operations right. and then digital of course digital comes with uh, the digital security component all of that is there in the in the three Cs but this is not uh, this is not all about the regional cooperation these are three key elements on which we can agree uh, across uh, political divisiveness um, in the region Within the countries, we should actually have more priority focus on, 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 on those. But speaking of energy grids, I don't know if we mentioned already that in, in our other podcast, but, but even if we did, so it's never enough to say that in this context, that on the 24th of February, 2022, when Russia launched its attack on, on Ukraine, that was also the day in uh, at which on which uh, Ukraine has disconnected from the Russian power okay. uh, energy grid as a test run, and then it was uh, forced into position in which it tested uh, for much longer, not not just three days, but for uh, many weeks to come until in in March on on the sixteenth of March uh, the power grid has been patchworked into. Well semi-permanent solutions and perhaps, uh, that that stabilizes the the grid and from the point where Europe was offering assistance in terms of electricity, Ukraine is now also offering assistance I mean uh, it's offering its surplus of energy production from nuclear power plants to uh, Central European countries um, which of course um, need additional uh, additional energy. Uh, supplies uh, coming in as gas and, and coal becomes more and more expensive. So I think it's about 100 megawatts uh, of, of power that was uh, on offer from Ukraine to Central Eastern Europe, essentially to European Union. And that shows that this, po- this policy is sometimes more important than politics. And here I would turn to, um, to also the emphasis that Oksana puts no. Uh, Oksana Forostina, uh, the fellow w- that we mentioned earlier, um, Oksana writes about the need not to forget the moment of, um, uh, of shock and, um, and sorrow connected to the war, and not, not to forget the elements of why this is being all done. And in, in her eyes and in her advocacy, policy advocacy, she underlines that the effort for Ukrainian reforms must be uh, carried on. It must be, the reforms are in the, in, they might be painful for the political elites of all, all sorts, but people are demonstrating that they are able, and they are currently undergoing such um, such burden, uh, and they do it in the name of uh, going and moving forward towards EU membership in the future, which requires the reforms, that they are also, uh, they also want, uh, you know, to, to sustain this moment for, right. for an internal change in Ukraine, not only just winning the war. And I think this uh, this highlight is so important not to be lost from a perspective and from the coverage of, on uh, on Ukraine. Yeah. What do you think, Miles?
2: <clears throat> well, I would also add to it that you know I don't want our listeners and other others to to think that we're just focusing on Ukraine because that's the story. We should be jumping on it and everyone else is covering it, so we need to get into the mix. That's not the point. I think the point of why focusing on this is, is, is so important is that it's actually showing a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of aspects of democratic security in Europe that can really go awry in this situation. So, for instance, you kind of look at you look at what is happening with a membership <clears throat> candidacy, membership status, things like that. It was already given to Albania. It was given to North Macedonia, to Montenegro, Serbia, Turkey. If we're to sit here and say that Ukraine – I mean, Ukraine had nowhere near the problems with democracy that Turkey has, mm-hmm. right? And so you you look at this and you, you understand that it's not just a, a charity a charity status that Ukraine got here. This isn't the point. But then there's another element of it that the EU can also, you know, they did it in a certain way where they can also back out of this at any point. Right. So it's interesting also from our perspective to understand what are the real actual values underlying a lot of these things from a broader European perspective, because what would be the case if this was to happen in Poland? What would be the case if it was happen in Baltics and so forth?
0: I would argue that the case of Ukraine in Europe and the whole process of uh, Ukraine reforms in Europe and also giving the candidacy status is a case for making Europe more democratic. Because um, with uh, with the effort, with the sacrifice of the society and individuals, uh, many heroes, in fact, who have been, you know, dying and giving their blood mm-hmm. and giving their health to the well-being to uh, to to the to the dream of independent Ukraine, independent Ukraine in Europe. This is also on the societal societal level on the uh, on the larger scale of things. This is an element of democratizing the whole european process Absolutely. this is this is in line with the public opinion in europe this is against some of the corporate uh, vested interest in you know in the across eu or across even some of the global right. uh, con, uh, corporate interest and this is definitely against the post imperial uh, power politics arguments that we have read too many times right. from from across the Atlantic as well, but more, uh, uh, most uh, most often so from from the geopolitical analyst and geopolitical uh, uh, guru uh, that that we found more often than not in, in in Russia. This is about listening to the voice and giving credits to the voice of the society and individuals who choose their path uh, in a democratic way, which is Europe and is. Re-empowering the European dream and European project of, of uh, being united, but also being fair and better reforms, more than more, you know, internally uh, 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 having legitimacy of the project, not anchored in some big boys uh, game, but but really truly uh, women and men of um, of the continent uh, thinking and acting together. So I think this is uh, this is what it's all about. Hello Jana and thank you for agreeing to speaking with us uh, for this podcast episode. We wanted obviously to ask you uh, a question about the Czech presidency in, in the EU and the challenges and the risks related to uh, not only to the presidency itself, but in the upcoming half a year uh, as, as as Czech foreign policy uh, is is definitely looking, you know, 360 uh, degrees in in all directions. What challenges? What are the the biggest risks and and, and bottlenecks that that are expected from from the Czech side uh, for Europe? And what are the plans to overcome it? What is what is the answer of Prague? to the European challenges ahead for the for the six months. So on one side, the objectives, ambitions, and on the other side, the uh, the challenges, including the internal challenges, as we read from the recent political piece uh, with with the government uh, being undercut by the previous government in terms of of budget also for the uh, for the EU presidency. What's your take on this?
1: Hello, Wojtek. Uh, First of all, thank you very much for the invitation and for the questions regarding the Czech EU presidency. uh, We can expect that it will be largely reactive presidency because of the crisis uh, that came with the Russian war in Ukraine and uh, the necessity of the EU to react to all the challenges that it raises. Uh, Regarding the political priorities uh, of the Czech presidency, uh, we see that it largely reacts to the situation uh, by uh, strengthening the energy security, uh, reacting to the food crisis, which uh, is expected to come. Uh, It also uh, largely deals with uh, how to uh, help Ukraine to recover uh, from this war, how to uh, also anchor it uh, in the European structures, so it deals uh, with the candidate status of Ukraine, for example. Uh, But when it comes to uh, the actual uh, legislative processes within the EU, uh, the reality is a bit different. So uh, the Czech Republic from the position of the presiding country will have to uh, move forward, for example, uh, the package uh, Fit 55 or the Migration Pact, uh, which are not topics that maybe the Czech government would like to deal with otherwise. And uh, in this regard, uh, in the EU legislative process, uh, Czech Republic will be faced with uh, some challenges because it will have to lead and moderate and uh, seek compromise among uh, EU member states for the most difficult uh, questions. Uh, for example, uh, when re- related to a Migration Pact, uh, the question will be uh, how to deal with the solidarity and strengthen solidarity among the EU member states uh, from different uh, regions of the EU. Or uh, when it comes to FIT455, it will have to deal with decarbonization of the automotive industry, which is a very sensitive question even for the Czech Republic due to its um, high uh, dependence on uh, this this, uh, area of industry in the Czech Republic. When talking uh, about uh, challenges and obstacles which uh, the Czech Republic might be faced with during its EU presidency, I think the most uh, difficult part will be uh, basically finding and keeping uh, the consensus among EU member states uh, that we are seeing now. Uh, And I mean, uh, in regard to Russia and uh, the sanctions uh, that uh, are in place and are being increased actually uh, during the time. Uh, So it will be very difficult. And... uh, while at this point we see quite a lot of um, unity among the EU member states, uh, I'm actually worried that uh, when the war will drag on for longer, the uh, actors will be worn out by this war, uh, there will, won't will be the immediate shock uh, that uh, we all uh, were met with at the beginning then it will be much more difficult uh, to still uh, keep the unity uh, of the opinions among member states to uh, still maintain uh, the united approach that we've seen, uh, maybe surprisingly, in the first months of the war. And uh, this will be difficult for Central and Eastern Europe, I think, especially because uh, when it comes to increasing and hardening of sanctions against Russia, uh, the problem is actually coming from uh, this region of Central Europe, because these countries, um, due to their um, energy mixes, are still uh, largely dependent on gas uh, coming from Russia, and it will be sensitive question for them. But in the same time, uh, when it comes to political dimension of uh, EU's relation with Russia and how to deal with it, uh, then uh, actually the Central European uh, EU member states are the ones advocating for a harder stance towards Russia, to uh, giving no concessions to Russia, while uh, this is met uh, with some opposition and maybe some softer approach uh, coming or we are hearing it from uh, larger EU member states in the West, like uh, France or Germany. So, I think finding a balance in this and still keeping everyone on board and uh, remaining united um, and you know speaking with one voice towards Russia will be the most difficult question during the upcoming six months. When talking about the Czech EU presidency, uh, you mentioned Vitek like, uh, the challenges internally that, that the EU is uh, that the Czech Republic is uh, facing, and uh, that's very correct. Unfortunately, they inherited from the previous government a very tight budget. We can see it already, Uh, there is of course this uh, negative PR uh, in the sense that Czech residency will be run by interns, um, which uh, unfortunately is true to some extent. But the reality is that uh, basically the Czech uh, state administration doesn't currently have enough uh, qualified uh, civil servants who could run the presidency and uh, is facing um, budget challenges also when it comes to organization of events and promotional activities and so on so this will be certainly something uh, that will be demanding on the civil servants involved in the in the presidency uh, but what's important to mention from uh, maybe the internal uh, view of the Czech republic and uh, the perspective of its foreign policy is, uh, as you correctly stated, there's this um, amazing shift uh, from uh, this very pragmatic um, pragmatic uh, foreign policy, uh, promoting economic diplomacy and so on, towards uh, basically back uh, to uh, Havel's ideas and foreign policy tradition. So uh, this government, and that's something that they led uh, their election campaign also with, is... Uh, that they are actually focusing more on the issues of democracy and human rights uh, and promotion of these agendas uh, in foreign policy of the Czech Republic. And also they are trying to re-establish uh, the image of Czech Republic as a democratic, evolved uh, nation uh, with functional rule of law, uh, which knows uh, where its uh, place in the European Union and in Europe at large actually is. So I think this will be very significant uh, that we are kind of coming back to this uh, havelist tradition of the Czech foreign policy.
0: My second question concerns the cooperation between the Czech Republic and Slovakia and the vision both countries may share about the future of the Central Eastern Europe. Um, as it happens, both countries um, at the same time began their presidency, Czech Republic in the EU, and Slovakia in the Visegrad group. The Visegrad group presidency is not a half a year uh, presidency. it It takes uh, a whole year. Uh, so Jana, uh, my question to you is now about uh, what are the similar similarities in the approach? of both uh, uh, Czech Republic and Slovakia vis-a-vis both the European affairs and the region. how 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 is it seen from the from the side of, of both capitals?
1: So the uh, timing of the Czech EU presidency and the Slovak presidency within the V4 is um, a very interesting coincidence. And uh, I'm also very curious to see how it uh, changes the dynamics of the V4 as such, because um, as was discussed already, basically both of these countries uh, are currently in the process of sort of distancing themselves from the rest of the V4, meaning Hungary and Poland. Uh, They are also pursuing uh, this agenda of reestablishing the rule of law and democratic governance within their countries, uh, freedom of media, fight against corruption and so on. And uh, they are both uh, trying to position themselves as um, serious European partners for other member states within the European Union. And uh, this, of course, is difficult to do when uh, we have uh, Prime Minister Orbán speaking on behalf of the V4 and promoting the Hungarian narratives. So um, both countries will be uh, faced with this challenge, how to continue the Visegrad cooperation in the areas where it's um, actually good, where it's beneficial for all the countries involved. Uh, Also repairing the image of the V4 while um, actually still uh, setting the agenda and uh, leading the show, uh, not letting uh, Prime Minister Orbán steal it. So, uh, we can see that uh, in the Slovak um, pri- priority priorities.
0: My final question is about the priorities of the Slovak presidency in the Visegrad group and its political communication. Um, Mr. Korczuk has stressed that the role of the Visegrad group is not to be a foreign policy actor. He clearly puts a distance between uh, the presidency of his country and the vision of V4 as an important actor in European affairs, at least if not on the global scale, that has been trumped for many years by Mr. Orbán and uh, and also the government of Mr. Kaczynski. Now Slovakia wants to tune it down, obviously, but uh, but how does it want to do it? Uh, what are the priorities that Slovakia emphasizes, and what's its what is um, what is their relationship with other uh, regional formats? Because um, I will. I will hint to, to one uh, specifically, the interconnectedness priority, the first to read in the document of the presidency um, about energy connectivity and security and transportation and economy, clearly links to other formats uh, that emphasize exactly those three, uh, such as the Three cs Initiative. So um, what does Slovakia want to achieve uh, within this presidency? And what do you expect will be carried on by the Czech presidency after it?
1: From the uh, Slovak-Visegrád presidency priorities, uh, we can see that uh, Slovakia is going to try to uh, bring Visegrád basically back to the lower level, uh, make it closer to the citizens of the group, and uh, focus on the more practical uh, practical levels of the cooperation instead of the big political topics. And uh, what is interesting uh, in my view is that among the priorities we can see uh, not only the strengthening of the connectivity and improving infrastructure, which can actually benefit the citizens in very practical terms, uh, but we also see uh, that uh, the Slovak government committed itself to increasing the support to international Visegrad fund, which uh, then in return will improve the connectivity and contacts among uh, civil society organizations within the region. And Uh, they mention a specific focus on youth mobility. So, uh, my impression is that uh, Slovakia is actually trying to uh, continue building some sort of uh, Visegrad, um, maybe identity, make it more visible among the citizens, connect the citizens, uh, make especially youth uh, talk to each other more and have more interactions, which uh, of course is great for stabilizing the Visegrad cooperation and focusing it more on the practical benefits and uh, the long-term benefits instead of these uh, sometimes very explosive political agendas. Uh, Also, what I find interesting is uh, that they included in their priorities uh, support to Ukraine. Uh, Because, of course, this is a very important topic and we all know where uh, Czech Republic, Slovakia and Poland actually stand on this question. But on the other hand, uh, Hungary is still rather ambivalent it's uh, of course formally supporting ukraine but on the other hand not too much uh, we can expect also during the um, in the candidate status of ukraine now and uh, the upcoming uh, is this accession process of Ukraine into the European Union, which was now started, that uh, Hungary will raise some issues with the Hungarian minority in Ukraine. It's uh, still very careful in its approach uh, towards Russia. Uh, we saw that uh, there was potential for Hungary to act as a veto player within the European Council uh, when it came to the sanctions. So uh, all these questions... Um, are actually, I would say, undermining uh, the feasibility of how can the V4 actually act as a united front uh, towards uh, Russia and towards the war in Ukraine, Uh, whether this uh, priority of uh, Slovakia during its uh, Visegrad group presidency is realistic and uh, whether it can really be truly implemented on the regional level and not just uh, maybe bilateral or uh, in some smaller formats, so uh, in terms of Slovakia Czech Republic and Poland